everybody. Welcome back to the Insightful Thinkers podcast. Joseph Goebbels, the propaganda minister of Nazi Germany, once said, With sufficient repetition and a psychological understanding of the people concerned, it would not be impossible to prove that a square is in fact a circle. Noam Chomsky, one of the great intellectuals of the 20th century, argues that these types of propagandist ideas are by no means unique to Nazi Germany. He points to his country, the United States, saying, A democracy has to control people's minds. Since it can't control its people by force, it resorts to propaganda. And he continues, he says, As opposed to being in a true democracy, where the public can manage their own affairs and have open and free access to information, we live in a world where the public is barred from managing their own affairs, and the means of information are kept under narrow and rigid control. That's what we're talking about today. We're taking a look at specifically at Noam Chomsky's ideas on how propaganda is used, particularly in the U.S. media. And that's our in-depth analysis today. Uh, please view the episode description for the sources we used in this episode. So we're going to talk about a brief history of propaganda. But before this, what is propaganda, first of all? So propaganda is communication designed to manipulate a population by affecting beliefs, attitudes, or preferences to create behavior that's compliant with the propagandist's goals. So you can look at the example of Goebbels. If he... When he, if he were to manipulate the public to believe a square is really a circle, if that were the political goal of Nazi Germany, that's what propaganda is. It's just, it's just uh, mental trickery of of the public by uh, your methods of mass communication, and it, it changes their attitudes, it changes their beliefs. So. What's the history of this? Where did it really start? Well, this episode, unlike others, is not an origin of propaganda. So this is really just going to be a cursory examination of the history. But there may be ancient origins of propaganda. Certain communications were used in the past to exercise control over ancient populations. It is up for debate whether these could specifically be defined as propaganda. In the 17th century... Uh, the Catholic Congregation for the Propagation of the Faith also seemed to have used some forms of propaganda. But the first modern government propaganda operation was under the Woodrow Wilson administration in the middle of World War I. His government established what was called the Creel Commission to shape public opinion in support of the American war effort in World War I. Within six months, the Creel Commission turned a pacifist population into something of a hysterical, warmongering population which wanted to destroy everything German, go to war, and save the world. The creators of the Creel Commission were very impressed with how quickly they were able to turn an initially pacifist U.S. population into one full of raving anti-German fanatics. They were very successful in, in, their, in their propaganda, the Creel Commission. They were also the first to apply scientific advances in technology and psychology to engage in the engineering of consent. So this is like a, it's 
propaganda. It's, it's your engineering and, and tweaking their minds so that you can get consent from them. This is what the Creel Commission did so well. And just like the U.S. had the Creel Commission, Britain had its own similar thing called the Ministry of Information. For those who have read 1984, this is a very... This is very 1984-like or Orwellian, this term, but it was a real thing, this Ministry of Information. And their purpose was, in their own words, to control the thought of the world, and in particular to control the thought of liberal American intellectuals. They were really the key for the Ministry of Information. But why liberal American intellectuals? Well, Britain had to somehow get the United States into the war or else it wasn't going to win. So that meant it had to appeal to the educated sectors of the U.S. and get them on their side. And get them on their side, they did. They were very successful in this. So this was kind of how propaganda started to be used. It started to be used in these wars, and in modern history at least. And But now let's dig deeper into the tactics that are used in propaganda to really understand how it works, even again, before we get into what Chomsky thinks about propaganda. So the two major tactics of propaganda are distraction and disorientation. In distraction, we, we can point straight to an example to describe distraction best. So there's something called the 50 cent army in China. This is when this is the China, this is a real thing. The Chinese government pays tens or hundreds of thousands. We don't really know the number because all the things they keep in secret, but they pay all these thousands of people to post online to sway and alter discussion. So what they're doing, this is the distraction technique. They distract the population from the reality rather than actively persuading or manipulating them. They're just totally distracting them from what's real by all these plants to engage in online discussion. By distracting the public attention, you prevent any type of productive discussion or collective organizing that could create real change or any type of an uprising. You're just distracting them from what really matters. Recent estimates claim that the Chinese government fabricates 488 million social media posts per year. That was a 2017 study. So this tactic is no joke, and it is employed by, by China, uh, at least. Uh, I'm not sure of, of any others, but, but this is the first major tactic of propaganda or or how a tactic used in propaganda. The second one is disorientation, the two Ds. So here in disorientation, the purpose is not to convince the audience of any particular truth, but instead to make it impossible for people in the society to even tell fact from fiction in the first place. They're not pointing them in the wrong direction and trying to distract them. They're just totally putting up a smokescreen, making it impossible for the general population to understand what's even going on. A really illuminating quote to show how disorientation works is from uh, Peter Pomerantsev's Nothing is True and Everything is Possible. Here he's talking about uh, r the Russian tactics of propaganda and specifically disorientation. He says this, In today's Russia... The idea of truth is irrelevant. On Russian quote-unquote news broadcasts, the borders between fact and fiction have become utterly blurred. 
Russian programs feature actors posing as refugees from eastern Ukraine, crying for the cameras about invented threats from imagined fascist gangs. The notion of journalism in the sense of reporting facts or truth has been wiped out. When the media spat out outlandish stories about the drowning the downing, excuse me, of Malaysia Airlines Flight 17 over eastern Ukraine in July, reports characterized the crash as everything from an assault by Ukrainian fighter jets following U.S. instructions to an attempted NATO attack on Putin's private jet. They were not trying to convince viewers of any one version of events, but rather to leave them confused, paranoid, and passive. That is the best possible quote to show the tactic of disorientation and propaganda. So this is kind of what propaganda is. What are the tactics used in propaganda? Now let's get into what Chomsky thinks about propaganda, specifically in the U.S. media. And this all comes from his short but great book, uh, Media Control, one of the sources for this episode. So this is his talk about the U.S. public relations industry. The U.S. The U.S. pioneered the public relations industry to control the public mind. The leaders of the new, uh, new at the time, public relations industry said, said it using those exact terms, to control the public mind. That's why they created the public relations industry. They built on their early successes in stirring up fear with the Creel Commission in World War I. So this is where the origins of the public relations industry, where it was in this propaganda commission pretty much, from World War I. In 1937, the steel strike took place in Pennsylvania. The government immediately sought to find ways to turn the public against the strikers by presenting them as disruptive and harmful to the public and against the common interest. The message that was presented by the public relations industry was this. There are those bad strikers out there who are disruptive and causing trouble and breaking harmony and violating Americanism. We've got to stop them so we can all live together. The corporate executive and the guy who cleans the floors all have the same interests. We can all work together and work for Americanism in harmony, liking each other. So this is what they did to try to shut down these strikes and they tried to just paint these strikers as just bad people who were anti-American. This type of messaging by the public relations industry actually worked very well. And this specific strategy was so successful that it got its own name, the Mohawk Valley formula. Since then, this same formula has been applied over and over to break strikes. So this is what they're doing. Indeed, the public relations industry and, and the people within it work very hard to instill the right values, right for the podcast listeners, as I say in air quotes, because these are the values that they want you to, to have. And again, this is all from Chomsky. This is not, these are not my own ideas, uh, just as a, uh, a disclaimer. But Chomsky says that they attempt to drill the message into the heads of Americans that the only value in life is to have more commodities or to live like the rich middle-class family on TV and to have nice values like harmony and Americanism. They want you to believe that that's all there is in life. You may think to yourself that there has to be something more, but since you're watching the TV alone, you assume that 
you're the one who must be crazy. The U.S. government also thinks it's necessary, along with their propaganda tactics and public public relations, according to Chomsky, they also think it's necessary to whip up the population in support of foreign adventures. In other words, they have to engineer public opinion just like they did with the Creel Commission. If that public opinion isn't already there, they have to they have to whip up the population to feel the way they want them to feel, like in the Creel Commission where it was a pacifist, a peaceful, peace-loving population, and they had to somehow convince them that we need to go to war and this is this is our destiny and and they were successful in that so this is what they do they have to engineer public opinion because as i as i mentioned the population is usually pacifist the public often sees no reason to get involved in foreign adventures killing and torture so you have to whip them up according to chomsky not according to chomsky but this is what the U.S. government believes, according to Chomsky. And to whip them up, you must frighten them. And that's what the government does. They, they use fear-mongering tactics. They create fear in the population, and that makes the population feel like, oh, we got to go to war to protect ourselves from the terrorist threat, even though the threat is often very, uh, I mean, it causes so few deaths a year in the United States. The threat is minimal. But it's blown up and, and this fear mongering takes place. We're going to kind of build on that point about how they kind of parade their enemies, according to Chomsky. But before that, let's talk about how Chomsky thinks that the U.S. government believes that it's necessary to completely falsify history as well. The government makes it look as if when we attack and destroy somebody, we're really just protecting and defending ourselves against major aggressors. If we're bombing South Vietnam, like in the Vietnam War, that's because we're defending South Vietnam against somebody because no one else was there to do it. So we must take it upon ourselves as a country. The Kennedy intellectuals, Chomsky says, called this defense, uh, called this defa- defense against internal aggression. So we have to defend for them because they have they have aggression happening internally over there so we have to go and intervene and 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 wage war it is necessary to overcome any misgivings the public has about the use of military force the us does it in many cases and it has worked every single time every time the public initially doesn't want to use force The U.S. is able to overcome this through the use of propaganda, Chomsky says. You look at the Middle East, you look at the issue of international terrorism, you look at Central America, whatever it may be, the picture of the world that is presented to the public has only the remotest relation to reality. So it's just pure propaganda, according to Chomsky. They're putting up a smokescreen, like a disorientation tactic, and they keep their population with only a scarce idea of what's really going on. And this allows them to wage war and do these things by showing you in the media the Super Bowl and then the commercials you see on there and the middle-class families rather than actually telling you what's happening. And it's like a distraction and a disorientation uh, to not give the public insights on what the government is doing. Finally, Chomsky argues that the U.S. media parades its enemies. This is what I alluded to. So, in other words, they blow threats out of proportion 
to give an excuse to accomplish other political endeavors. So, for example, this is, this is the example Chomsky uses. He says, the U.S. uses fear-mongering by constantly reminding its citizens of the danger of international terrorists and drug traffickers and quote-unquote crazed Arabs. And don't forget Saddam Hussein. He's the new Hitler. He's going to conquer the world if we don't stop him. Let's invade so we can stay safe. Don't mind the resources we obtain while we're there. So this is what Chomsky says the U.S. does. He says they, they parade their enemies, make the threat seem bigger than it really is, and that allows them to accomplish their ulterior motives that they don't tell the public about. They just tell the public, be scared of the threat, be scared of uh, terrorism, be scared of these things. Even though the risks are really minimal statistically, they don't tell you that. They just say, be scared, and that allows them to accomplish all sorts of things. The propaganda model that Chomsky created really sums up a lot of his ideas on propaganda in the U.S. media. So I think it's a good way to close out this episode. It was developed by Edward Herman and Noam Chomsky, and it critiques mass media in the United States. The fundamental argument put forward in the propaganda model is that political and economic factors influence what the media shows. So the media is not just some independent entity that operates on its own and it's uh, it's something that it's okay if you're naive to it. There's, there's no issue there. No. According to the propaganda model, there are ulterior motives behind a lot of what is fed to us in the media. The propaganda model challenges commonly held notions that media is liberal and dedicated to the public interest. Instead, Chomsky says that the media is predisposed to serve propaganda functions within uh, societies like the United States, capitalist, liberal, democratic societies. So this is what Chomsky thinks about propaganda in the U.S. media. Very specific one today for an in-depth analysis, but this is, I really wanted to center on one of the leading uh, anti-establishment figures and what he thinks specifically about propaganda in the U.S. media. There's no better way to conclude our discussion than with this quote from him. He said these words in response to Goebbels uh, bragging about the ease at which propaganda can make the public believe whatever you want them to, like making them believe a square is really a circle. Chomsky says this. He says, it's worth remembering where Goebbels got that idea. Goebbels got that idea, as did Hitler, from the practice of the democracies. Hitler was very impressed by the successes of the U.S. propaganda during World War I and felt that it partly explained why Germany lost the war. Germany could not compete with the extensive propaganda efforts of the democracies. Thank you for listening to this episode, everybody. If you liked it, the best thing you can do is to share it with someone who you think would like it too. This has been the Insightful Thinkers Podcast, in-depth analysis, diverse set of topics. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a production of Insightful Thinkers Media.